Packers legends Sterling Sharp and Mike Holmgren are semifinalists for the 2023 class of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Why they should already be in. Plus, Aaron Rodgers tells us to R-E-L-A-X on the rookie receiver expectations. You are locked on Packers. I feel like we can run the table. Your daily Green Bay Packers podcast. Rodgers gets out. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. You are locked on Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Peter Bukowski and I cover the Packers for The Leap, a newsletter I would love for you to subscribe to. You can follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked On Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet. And the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. Thanks for everyone who makes Locked on Packers their first listen every day. We hope you like starting your day with us as much as we like starting our day with you. And today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Bet Online. All of the information and the lines and the props and all of the fun stuff that you need every day. If you're trying to win some money betting on sports, Bet Online, where the game starts. A lot to cover on today's show. And we're going to have some fun over the next couple days because we've got some great guests lined up. Ben Fennel's going to be on the show here. Um, uh, Lily Zhao for a Zayu Duan extravaganza is going to be on the show here and more guests coming up in the coming days and weeks. Sterling Sharp and Mike Holmgren are officially semifinalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. This should have already happened. And I started to think about this when Bill Cowher went in because he was one of the contemporaries of Mike Holmgren who got in before Mike Holmgren, one of a handful of contemporaries. And a couple of guys got in before Holmgren who absolutely did not belong in before Holmgren. And that is Tony Dungy and Bill Cowher. I, I understand why they did, and it's because they're on TV every week. You see Tony Dungy on Football Night in America, and Tony Dungy, he is a worthy coach. He is a pro football Hall of Famer. Bill Cower, he's on TV every week on CBS. <sighs> I don't know if Bill Cower is actually a Hall of Famer. I really, I truly don't. Uh, the, the Hall of Fame has become so watered down that maybe it's just like, okay, well, everyone needs to get in. I don't know that his impact on the league was so indelible, so remarkable that he belongs in the game. You know whose impact is that? Mike Holmgren. Mike Holmgren. He has a higher career winning percentage than guys who are already in like Joe Gibbs, Bill Cowher, Tony Dungy, and Marv Levy. And unlike Marv, Mike Holmgren won a Super Bowl. He went to three as a coach, 96, 97, and then that Seahawks Super Bowl that, by the way, they should have won. The officiating robbed them of multiple. Ben Roethlisberger was down short of the goal line, and the, the offensive pass interference call on the touchdown, I believe it was Daryl Jackson, was BS. Complete garbage call. They should have won that game. I thought Seattle was the better team in that game. And we think about Bill Cower. We think about... Mike Tomlin, we think about 
Ben Roethlisberger and all those guys differently if that championship goes differently because of the subsequent seasons, what happened with Pittsburgh, the continuation of all that. I mean, this there's there's a lot of tack-on effects to coaching, right? And so like Mike Holmgren leading to Andy Reid, that has an impact on Mike Holmgren. When you have Andy Reid on staff, when you have Steve Mariucci on staff, when you have Marty Morningwing on staff and Ray Rhodes and these guys who go on to get head coaching jobs because, and I, I made this joke on Twitter, it's not really a joke. Before people wanted a Sean McVay type, they wanted a Mike Holmgren type. They saw what Mike Holmgren did with Brett Favre, who was all tools and moxie, and they turned him, and and it wasn't just Mike. Andy Reid was his favorite coach in Green Bay. In fact, when when Brett would do weird stuff in practice and wouldn't listen to Coach Holmgren, Holmgren would be like, I'm going to fire Andy Reid if you don't stop doing that. Seriously, that's, that's on the record. Uh, that is, I think with coaches especially, I need to feel the ripple effects of your presence having been in the league. I, I, I need to not be able to tell the story of the NFL for a decade without you in it. And Mike Holmgren, probably for 15 years, you know, he arrives in the early 90s and, and continues to coach until the mid-2000s. Front office role is a different thing, so I'm not even going to worry about that because his Browns tenure was pretty inglorious, as most people's tenure with the Browns have been. Mike Holmgren launched the careers of a half dozen future head coaches. And guys like Steve Mariucci, who have continued to be in the spotlight because they're on TV all the time, I don't know how those guys aren't stumping for Mike Holmgren to be in. He should already be in over the guys who were his contemporaries that, by the way, he beat with regularity. He, he, beat, he beat Bill Parcells in the Super Bowl. Now lost to Mike Shanahan. He's also a semifinalist. I think Mike Shanahan should be in. Mike Holmgren should be in. Mike Holmgren should be in. Now, a, a little bit of a more complicated case because of what happened with Sterling Sharp's neck. Sterling Sharp only played seven seasons in the NFL. Now, we have precedent for this. Terrell Davis ended his career early. Patrick Willis is going to be a no-doubt first ballot Hall of Famer, I think. Calvin Johnson only played essentially a season's worth more of games than Sterling Sharp did. But someone like Terrell Davis, Hall of Famer Terrell Davis, gets in because his three-year peak was among the best we've ever seen. The career stats aren't there in the case of Terrell Davis and in the case of Sterling Sharp because of injury. In the case of Calvin Johnson, it is walking away early. When you look at Sterling Sharp at his peak, he was better at his peak than a lot of guys who are already in the Hall of Fame. This is a wild stat that I found. Sterling Sharp was a first-team All-Pro three times. He led the league in receptions in all three of those seasons. In his seven years as a pro, by the way, he never missed a start, much less a game. 
He had five 1,000-yard seasons and came, I think, 50 yards short in that sixth non-rookie season. Here, here's the full list, okay? The full list of modern receivers. So guys in the last 30-ish years with more first-team all-pro seasons than Sterling Sharp. This is everyone on the list. Jerry Rice, Lance Allworth, Terrell Owens, Randy Moss, Antonio Brown. That's it. That's the whole list. And, you know, I'm I'm being I'm being pretty generous, by the way, with with Allworth because he is not a really a modern receiver. <laughs> but some of the other guys who had fewer uh were were or who had more were uh older, much older players. We're talking about like 30s, 40s, 50s kinds of players. Sterling Sharp had more first-team All-Pro seasons than Tim Brown, Isaac Bruce, Andre Reid, Michael Irvin, and Larry Fitzgerald combined. Combined. Tim Brown, Isaac Bruce, and Andre Reid had zero, zero goose egg. Not one. There was no season in which you could make the case Tim Brown was the best receiver in the league, or maybe even the second or third best receiver in the league. Especially true for Isaac Bruce and Andre Reid. Sterling Sharp played against all of those guys. He was on the field with Michael Irvin and Andre Reid and Tim Brown. He, and he outperformed them. And in fact, he outperformed them with quarterback play that was not great. And, and I looked it up in the one season in which Sterling Sharp, other than his rookie season, did not quite make it to 1,000 yards. The Packers were 4-12. and 12. It was a Lindy and Fonte special. And the quarterbacks for the Packers that season were Mike Tomczak, Don Mikowski, and Blair Keel. They combined to score 17 touchdown passes. They combined to throw a, a bazillion interceptions. No, but <laughs> they combined to score or to, to complete under 53% of their passes. It was a disaster. A disaster. And so I don't know how you can hold that productivity against him. Peak value is something we already take into consideration with NFL players. Gale Sayers is in because of his peak value, not because of his career worth. Terrell Davis is in because of his peak value, not because of his career worth. And, and let's be honest, Randy Moss is in because of his peak value, not because of his career worth. He has one more Pro Bowl selection than Sterling Sharp and one more first team all pro Sterling Sharp. If Sterling Sharp, instead of hurts his neck, gets traded and stays healthy and goes to even somewhere that has a bad QB, he probably makes another All-Pro team, another Pro Bowl team, and then his status is unimpeachable. And if he stays healthy, we might be talking about one of the two or three greatest modern receivers in league history. He was T.O. before T.O. and without the drama. If you have not seen the Sterling Sharp phenomenon, I was trying to find a word that does it justice because he was a size speed freak, enormous, but could run, 
could make plays after the catch. He was a prototype. He was the archetype for a West Coast offense. If he stays healthy, if he plays 10 seasons, he's a no-doubt Hall of Famer. An absolute no-doubt Hall of Famer. And is one of the five best receivers ever. We're talking about him again, like Terrell Owens, like Randy Moss. I don't know. I think Jerry Rice is in a conversation of his own. That's okay. But after that, he'd be right in that mix. And unfortunately, at least narratively, he's not there now. All right, we're going to talk about what Aaron Rodgers said about his rookie receivers coming up in just a second. Before we do, let's talk about our friends at Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports info. Find the latest developments, league reviews. We've got baseball going on. We've got golf. It's the Open Championship this year. Notice I did not say the British Open. If you want to sound like a noob, say the British Open. It's the Open Championship. Or people in the UK will get mad at you. Uh, we've got a lot to bet on there. I've got some ideas on what you might want to do. I posted a video if you want to go look. Uh, BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check out all of your favorite sports and events, including MMA, golf, boxing. BetOnline, where the game starts. So Aaron Rodgers went on Pat McAfee's show. Didn't do anything too weird. He did say he was going to finish, I believe, top 20, top 15 in uh, the Lake Tahoe ACC championship event. He finished top 10, so good for him. But he was asked about the receivers, about expectations, and he did something that I appreciated. And for some of you, you're going, wait a second, whoa. <laughs> he, re he really did. And what he did was he said, I, you know, I want everyone to take a deep breath. And it was, I think, both a, a, um, a way of him to say, I want the narrative to relax a little bit. I want the media scrutiny, take the media scrutiny and, and turn the gauge down a little bit. And I want to take the pressure off those guys. I, I, I believe they will hear me say, let's just relax and let this play out. Let's not gas them up on every good play they make. And let's not freak out on any bad play they make. My buddy Zach Cruz made the point that we will, of course, gas them up on all of the, the good plays they make. Yeah, we are almost certainly going to do that. And that's, you know, look, I think that's okay. I don't, I don't think that was what Rodgers was trying to avoid. I think what he was trying to avoid was Christian Watson and Romeo Dubs come in and they don't compete right away to be awesome. And fans go, these guys suck. He knows what that feels like. And so he is setting expectations in a reasonable space to say, look, these guys have to learn the offense. They have to figure out what's going on here. They have to figure out what I expect from them. They have to figure out what the coach expects from them. And then they have to figure out how the defense is going to attack them, which is this whole other thing that they're trying to understand. These are not easy. Um, they're, they're not easy additions to make into an offense. And they're not easy adjustments to make for rookies who are trying to come in for a Super Bowl team. This is a team that feels like they can compete for a Super Bowl. 
I believe they can compete for a Super Bowl. The Vegas odds makers believe they can compete for a Super Bowl. So there are going to be lofty expectations on these players. Now, I do think Christian Watson can come in and, and, and contribute. I do think Romeo Dubs can come in and contribute. They can give you snaps. What you have to hope for is that Al Nazard and Randall Cobb and Sammy Watkins and Big Bob Tunyon and Mercedes Lewis and Josiah DeGuara and Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon and Matt LaFleur can hold down the fort until these guys are really ready to be big time and prime time performers. Now, have we seen rookies come in and provide real high level productivity in year one? Yeah, we have. Jamar Chase did it. Justin Jefferson did it. I think T. Higgins to a certain degree did it. Um, Michael Pittman to a certain degree did it. Brandon Ayuk to a certain degree did it. I know I'm focusing on 2020, but you can go back and look at some of the 2021 guys and, and they did it. Now the 2020 class was historically good, so it's a different idea, but Amari Rogers, you hope takes a step forward. You hope you don't need these guys to be great right away. That part of this aside, I, I just I, I kind of want to focus on what Rodgers is doing here because I also think it is a reminder to him that this is a little bit of self-talk. And this is a guy who I think is big into self-talk. He's he is very introspective and has these conversations with himself and, and has mantras. And he does box breathing and he does these things. And by the way, I'm not disparaging any of that stuff. I'm actually a big believer in things like mantras and box breathing. I, out on the golf course, I do box breathing. That's just like me with my buddies. I'm trying to win a match. And I believe in that. Of course, I think it would benefit professional athletes. I know professional performers who have mantras and do box breathing and do that kind of stuff. So I, I I don't want to make it seem like I am disparaging those things. I'm not, but this is this is part of the whole picture here with Rogers. Is I think he, you know, without without digging too far into his mind, he clearly understands that he needs to exercise patience, and he has not always been the most patient player, not always been the most patient leader, not always been the most patient quarterback. And I, I think him coming out and saying this allows him to get ahead of the story. And so if in a couple weeks we get into training camp and they aren't playing to the standard, go back to 2019 or 2018 when Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Equinemius St. Brown and Jim Moore are going through training camp and Aaron Rodgers is just like, they're not playing to the standard. And I was on this show saying, I wish he hadn't said that. But you know what? If he had come out in June, July and said, we need to exercise patience and this is going to take some time and these guys are acclimating and they're all trying to figure this out. And then in mid-August, let's say, says these guys aren't playing to the standard. That has a very tonally different feel. Because he started from the place of, let's give it time. He gave these receivers the benefit of the proverbial doubt. 
and the benefit of the narrative doubt. So then if they go out and they don't perform, that gives him the cover to say, look, I said we need to be patient, but these guys are not performing where they need to be. If in fact that is the case. So far, we've heard a lot of really good stuff about the productivity and we haven't we haven't been able to see everything that's gone on right so we're not you know we don't have this sort of impact and, and insight on on what's happening i think once training camp comes we'll have a lot better insight and a lot better grasp on what's going on we'll actually see them playing games and that's because that's what matters right them playing you know the practicing is important and you know for aaron Rodgers, he'll say you know the practice is just as important as the games that's not strictly speaking true um, if you practice great and then play crappy in the games, um, not, not particularly useful, right? So process I think is, is good and useful and we need to talk about process and I'm a big believer in let's focus on process, not, not just outcomes, but ultimately what we care about is what happens. You know, the why is often in process, but I, we also need to talk about what happened. And if these guys are not producing, we'll see it. And if they are producing, we'll also see it. So, you know, I don't think he is trying to be like, okay, um, let's set expectations low and then everything above that is going to be great. I don't think he operates that that way. But I do think what he is doing is trying to cushion the narrative. Say, okay, let's not let's not make these guys out to be more than they are. I think it's also a part of this. He said, I, I want production, not um, potential, which feels directly uh, pointed at Christian Watson. But that's neither here nor there. And it may not even be a negative thing. It may just be like a, hey, yeah, these guys are, this is the highest drafted receiver we've had here in a long time. We traded up to get him. I don't want fans freaking out about it. Good or bad. If he comes out and has a great preseason, I don't want fans thinking he should be the starting receiver if Alan Lazard and Sammy Watkins and Randall Cobb gives the team a better chance to win. That's part of the deal too. He wants these guys to come in and feel like they have to earn it. And I think that's really good leadership. I appreciate that that's the way that he handled it. And I think, frankly, it was the best way to handle it. All right, we're going to finish up here in just a minute. But before we do, let's talk about our friends at Rock Auto. Save time and money when you use Rock Auto. Why endure pointless or intimidating questions at a normal auto chain auto parts store dealer. You don't want to deal with that. That sounds like a nightmare. And and what's worse, you might end up spending 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts. You could go to rockauto.com and, and spend a fraction of the price. And they have everything you could need. Brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Go explore their easy-to-use website and find the solutions for your auto parts needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck and write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com Thanks for making Locked On Packers your first listen every day. Now go make your second listen Locked On NFL. Our national NFL experts and insiders keep fans dialed in with the biggest stories and the latest news from around the league because an offseason doesn't mean a break in the action. I just wanted to very, very briefly mention this. It wasn't even a report. It was a prediction from uh, someone in Pittsburgh Steelers media 
that the Steelers would let Deontay Johnson walk and that the Packers would sign him to some monster deal, some deal worth, you know, 22, 23, 24 million dollars a year. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities for the Packers to spend big on a receiver. And and clearly I don't. If you've listened to me for any length of time, you know that I've talked about the DK Metcalf trade possibilities, the Keenan Allen trade possibilities, the Tyler Lockett trade possibilities, the 0% Debo Samuel trade possibilities, the Terry McLaurin possibilities. And I believe the Packers would be willing to pay the sticker price for those kinds of players. Do I think they would do a deal like this with Deontay Johnson? I don't. I don't. I think I, I think more likely it would be like what the Chiefs did this past offseason, and that is sign a Juju Smith-Schuster type receiver, a young but experienced kind of player who their team has given up on. I think Juju's going to have, he's, if he can stay healthy, I think he's going to have a nice season in KC. And then another secondary piece, a Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Now, I think they hope that Christian Watson and Romeo Dubs have taken care of it, but Sammy Watkins, probably not a long-term piece on this team. Alan Lazard still needs a long-term contract. Amari Rodgers has not proven himself in any by any measure as an NFL player. And Randall Cobb is probably only around as long as Aaron Rodgers is, and maybe even not that long. So there could be some receivers on the docket, but they've got other guys to pay too. They got to pay Elton Jenkins. They got to pay Darnell Savage. They got to pay Rashawn Gary. I think they would prioritize that money over going outside the organization to find a receiver, albeit a very good receiver when healthy, but also a diminutive receiver. Someone who the Steelers picked ahead of where he was projected to go. So is it possible could it happen? Sure. Do I think it's altogether likely? No, I don't. But does that mean that they they would never sign another big receiver free agent? No. I think a receiver free agent is different than their own players. You know, like I think if in three years, Christian Watson is an awesome player, they'll look into extending him at a top of market rate. Um, it, it, you know, if Alan Lazard has an awesome season, I think they'd be willing to pay him if Sammy Watkins has a big season, I think they'd be willing to extend him, albeit not at the top of the market, but for a, a nice salary. I don't think the Packers are receiver paying averse. I just don't see them going into free agency and doing it that way. That would be pretty unlikely to me, at least on a long-term deal, you know, a four-year $95 million kind of deal or something crazy like that. One-year $10 million for Jimmy Graham. That's something we've seen them do. Is there another version of that that's out there? You know, the one-year 10 MBS kind of deal? Maybe. I could see that if there's a player like that that hits the market next year. But that's that's a big if. Plus, we need to see how these guys develop until then. All right, we're going to be back on Wednesday. Plenty more to get to here in the coming days and weeks. Follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter, Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline, you can do that. 920-341-3775. This day, Locked on Packers.